Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Dave Butler. I'm Grace Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. We're so happy that you're here. This is your uh, Book of Mormon class for this year. Yeah, scripture class for all four years this year, Book of Mormon. Uh, If it's your first time, double welcome. If it's your second time, double welcome. Everyone gets a double welcome. (laughs) (laughs) We go through the scriptures and point out things we think you don't want to miss. So uh, happy you're watching or listening. Uh, we're going to jump right in to this Christmas lesson. It's what it feels like because it's called Believe. Uh, <laughs> and it's 2 Nephi 20 through 26 is what it is. And this is kind of the wrap up of the Isaiah chapters, at least the big chunk of it. So we had last time and a little bit time before, you know, there's, you know, anyways, this is kind of the last big chunk. Uh, that was, a, I said that word so weird. <laughs> Um, you stopped halfway yeah, through. I was like, like, right halfway through the word. When Jesus comes in Third Nephi, he's going to quote more of the Isaiah chapters as, as well and endorse them and say, this is a, uh, this is a, these are writings that you want to read. They're going to be really significant um, for you. And I think the reason is, among other reasons, one, we found out last time that Nephi says, I'm quoting Isaiah because he's seen the Savior. And he's going to point out some attributes and characters of the Savior that you want to know. Another reason is I drew this little picture on here. So let's kind of start with this. Um, I will explain. And if you, if you're, <laughs> um, yeah, you, if you're listening on the podcast, I'm going to try really well to describe what, um, what it is on here. But one of the reasons that Nephi is quoting from Isaiah is because Isaiah tells the entire covenant story. And one of the purposes of the book of Mormon is to make future generations covenant conscious to know Oh, where they fit in the full covenant story uh, for the latter days, because the latter days play such a significant part of the covenant story. So um, the, this covenant story begins with God making a covenant relationship with Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. And the covenant promises that this family will take the blessings of the gospel to all the world. That was their commission and their responsibility. And so this 12 right here represents that house of Israel that has that commission. And God places them in what is now modern day Israel, which is the middle of all the trade routes, kind of the center of the ancient world so that they could influence the rest of all the nations. But as you remember from last year, uh, the rest of the nations ended up influencing them. They eventually split into two different kingdoms, uh, 10 in the north called Israel and two in the south called Israel. Judah. And last time we kind of talked about that. Remember there was that scuffle between the two kingdoms last time. And you remember first the 10 tribes up north get scattered by by the nation of Assyria. And then not much long after Babylon takes that southern nation into captivity. That's going to be Daniel and the lion's den time period. They're taken away and they're there for 70 years. And then you remember during Esther's time period, they are King Cyrus lets them go back to Jerusalem. So they go back, they build the temple, they're there for a couple hundred years, and then you have the time of, of Jesus that comes, um, makes all of the uh, covenant promises um, e- efficacious. That's the biggest word of the whole podcast, right? Or he will come and be the center of, the, uh, of all covenant relationship, um, rescue, save all of mankind. And then he calls uh, 12 disciples, which sort of become a new house of Israel. Go take the covenants to the world. And you remember now they're going to take them to the Gentile nations. Well, soon after that, those two, the house of the the two tribes here are are scattered. Rome comes in and conquers Jerusalem and, and there's a scattering that happens. And the 12 take the gospel covenants for a little bit at the end of the New Testament. But then um, the story of Jesus remains on the earth. But the covenant story is sort of lost in, uh, throughout that time period. And then the individual covenants and the priesthood authority to administer individual covenants are, are lost. And then there's a restoration of the covenant again. This time to Joseph Smith, uh, a new Israelite. And he'll kind of restore the kingdom, of, or the kingdom of God and the house of Israel will be restored through him. And then there is this gathering time period. And uh, the Gentiles will now take to the Jews. The first shall be last, last shall be first. You've heard those. Until eventually 
comes the millennium when all are gathered in and, and all of the wonderful things about the millennium. So this is the covenant story timeline. Uh, you and I live right here in this part of this timeline. Um, that's why Nephi says, you'll appreciate it more when you live here because you'll have been able to look back and watch and sort of see where you land and the significance of that story. Isaiah will quote and teach and prophesy. I don't know why I said quote, but he will teach and prophesy about all of these time periods. The style of Hebrew prophets is not to go in order necessarily. So as you read Isaiah, you'll be able to pinpoint, oh, he's talking about somewhere in this timeline. Sometimes he's talking about right here, where they're warned that they're about to be scattered. Sometimes he's going to talk about the scattering. Sometimes he's going to talk about the millennium. Sometimes he's going to talk about the gathering in and the restoration. Sometimes he's going to talk about Jesus and his personal ministry. And sometimes within a chapter, he's going to be jumping around some of those time periods. But if you took the collective writings of Isaiah all together, you would have the entire covenant. You could, take, you could almost take all the chapters of the sections of verses in 2 Nephi, the Isaiah chapters, and you'd cut them out and you could put them in order in a timeline and you would see the entire covenant story. So sometimes it's nice to have that timeline in your mind so that as you're reading, you're like, oh, I know where he's at in the timeline. And you know one of his purposes is, oh, don't lose don't lose this consciousness and idea of, of the whole story. Make sure you're remembering that whole story and you see where you are fitting into it. And the reason I love it so much is because now all of a sudden my story is connected to theirs. Mm-hmm. It makes the scriptures come to life for me because in my head I think this is also my story. Yeah. What they are going through is connected to what I am going through. The covenant story isn't just for them, it's for me. Yeah, yeah. This is my story. It's we're together in this. Yeah, and you can and you see where you are at, what your place is in the story. And and you feel like, especially when you're here in the ninth inning, uh, you receive a patriarchal blessing. Um, when you're baptized into the house of Israel, you 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 are you receive that commission that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you're all, you're part of this entire story. You see your purpose, you see the part you have to play. Um, why the need for the restoration. It really just feels, you feel like I have a significant purpose on the earth. And it's so cool because the prophet cares so much about the gathering of Israel. He talks about it all of the time. And I'm pretty stoked on it. Like, I think it's awesome and stuff. But when I see it like this, it makes me so much more excited because I get to be a part of the end of the story. Mm Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I have a role to play, and it's not just a role for me in my life, and the prophet has already said that, but for some reason, seeing it on this timeline makes it seem so much more real to me that I look at this and I'm like, no wonder he's so serious about it and says there's nothing of greater importance you could be a part of in the entire world right now, yeah. because you are a part of the story that has been be, like been told since the very beginning. Right, right. And every once in a while, you know, binge a Netflix show, but don't lose sight of yeah. why you're really here and and this grander great picture that God's been orchestrating since the time of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And and it's neat to see when you see the whole timeline and Isaiah having to say to people, "Listen, don't, God's not going to give up. He's not going to give up. There is a time of restoration coming." And you and I could have an individual timeline drawn of our own life too to see our times when, you know, we've we've scattered and we've gone astray and he's come back and sent someone to help our lives be restored again. And so it's kind of neat to see that's God's character, uh, to not give up and to be a restoring God, um, in my individual life timeline, but also in the grand uh, picture of, of things as well. So, um, keep that in mind. And, and as we study through these, and as you study Isaiah again, you can see, oh, okay, he's in this time period or he's in that time period. And just remember Hebrew prophets, that's why it's a little confusing for an American reader, a modern day reader, I should say, um, because he's just going to jump around. The and every time I say jump around, I jump, think of jump. I think <laughs> about that song. That might be the song for the app this week. We don't know. <laughs> But if it is, you're going to be really excited about it. You'll know why. The first section is 2 Nephi chapter 20. It's called the anointed one. And I'm so glad it's coming immediately after that story because you can see what David was talking about 
immediately when you begin this chapter, even in the chapter heading, it says and it starts, the destruction of Assyria is a type of the destruction of the wicked at the second coming. And it's interesting to me that all, like already he is showing you two ends of the story. Yeah. He's saying this story is one big story. It's connected. The beginning is not very different than the end because it's the same story. So of course it's going to match. And I think that automatically makes it more relevant. But when I read this chapter, I can think of Assyria and I can learn a lot. And I think about the second coming and I can get like, okay, this is more my time. I can find my role. But there's something powerful in reading this chapter for me and thinking about my own covenant story. That's why that timeline's so powerful to me is because not only do we have a role in the big covenant story, but exactly like David said, we are living a covenant story. That's our life. So when I read this, that's what I think in my head. This is my covenant story as well. And what's going to happen is in the beginning, he's going to start describing, this is a disaster of a time. The people are ruining the lives of the poor, not taking care of the people who are struggling. The widows are going to be prey. They're going to start attacking people that are already down hurting. Mm. Um, And then it says they are going to rob the fatherless. You can get a sense of the world that he's describing, that it is just a fend for yourself. Take what you can get. It is a world that isn't afraid of hurting people who are already hurt, people hurting other people. It obviously doesn't seem like a really inviting world to live in. No, and just when you were just talking about that, you you know, you see all those nature shows (laughs) and you like watch the lions and they'll attack the young ones or the sick ones or the slow ones. And that's the nature of the adversary as well. You know, and, and someone who has the spirit of the adversary in them, at least to some degree, that they will prey on those who are weak. They'll prey on those who are down, prey on those who are who are vulnerable. And it hurts your heart. Like when I right. watch those dumb shows on National Geographic, yeah. I like have to close my eyes <laughs> and it's like animals and it's like ruining, like my heart is hurting. And then this isn't animals. These are neighbors. These are people. Right. It's a, like, it's people hurting people. Well, and it just, it, it just gives you that sense of you read those and you just say, you're, so, some people live the law of the jungle. Like do whatever you need to do to get ahead stomp on whoever you need to do whoever you need to take advantage of of people whatever it takes to get ahead and to survive in this world and and god has sent prophets and he sent his son to teach us a higher way of living just like don't don't revert to that base natural animalistic instinct that you have that survive at whatever cost Mm -hmm. and it leads you to ask the exact question that's asked in verse number three what will you do in this day To who will you flee for help? Hmm. Where are you going to go when life is falling apart, when you're living the law of the jungle? What's your game plan? And in verse number four, I highlighted the first two words and circled them a hundred times because he's going to begin describing the destruction that he already like foretold in the like chapter heading. He didn't, but whoever wrote the chapter heading did. Um, You know what's coming and it's not going to be something good. And he leads off by saying, This happened without me. It happened because you tried to live your life without me. This is what happens in a life. When you are living in a jungle world and you're trying to live without me, this is what's going to happen. Not just for the people that were getting conquered by Assyria, not just in the second coming, but I think in an everyday life too. He's going to say, this is is what life looks like without me. And he's going to go through and for the next... Seriously, like five or six verses. I'm not really great at math, but from verse five to verse 10. Okay, that was really easy. Five verses. He is going to describe people getting conquered and you're easy to conquer. We've conquered harder before. We've done more. We can get you down. And it's interesting because the reason why is because they were living without him. They were easy to conquer because they didn't have the conqueror on their side. Mm. And it's interesting because he goes through in verse 11 and he says, we've done it to Samaria. We'll do it like Jerusalem. It's not a big deal because we've done it before. We know how to beat someone that doesn't have a conqueror. It's not hard. We've got it figured out. But in verse 12, you start seeing this like language of like almost a little bit of a fight that it says, wherefore it shall come to pass that when the Lord hath performed his whole work. Hmm. There might be a fight and there might be conquering and we might be trying to live in this jungle world and it's a mess and it's a disaster, but don't you forget that the Lord is still working. He still has a plan and his whole work will be accomplished. He is a hard worker. Hmm. He's not working 
he's not going to stop working. Just because the world is a disaster doesn't mean that he is going to stop working. And in verse 13, it gives you a sneak peek into the reason why. Because part of you when you read this is like, don't let me be conquered. Care about me enough to save me. Don't let me lose this fight. And it's so interesting because verse 13, he says, For he saith, by the strength of my hand and by my wisdom, I have done these things. And you look at that timeline that we described in the beginning, the whole covenant story, and you start realizing this story is bigger than what you once thought, maybe. This story isn't just our story or our next door neighbor's story or our kid's story. This story has been the story since the beginning. We are a part of it. And the God we believe in is smart enough to plan for the entire thing. He will work from the beginning of the story till the very end. And he will not stop until his work is accomplished. And he is not doing it naively or in like rash judgment. He is doing it with wisdom. That's what's happening. And the more he describes in this chapter, it starts getting worse and worse. One of the most interesting verses to me is going to be verse number 16, that he will send among his fat ones leanness, which seems like a riddle until you start thinking about it. And all of a sudden you start realizing he's describing an unfulfilling life. That these people that have like gotten fat and big and like they're living their life, they start like it, they're getting leanness. It's like they are, it's just not fulfilling to them anymore. They're not mm. getting the good stuff. And that rings so true to me for trying to live my life without him. Mm. I feel that. I go to sleep and my head hits my pillow and it just feels hollow because there's something about him that brings fulfillment. And it's going to go, verse 18 is also so fascinating to me because it's going to say, the standard bears faint. The ones who are holding up the standard, the ones that are doing a really good job, they will get tired too. This is not an easy fight. It's not, it's not just hard because you're not living it with him. It is going to be hard for every single person. Even the standard bearers will faint. Well, and I think it's important to keep coming back and saying, this is a description of without him. That mortality is hard. And, and temptation is too big sometimes and doubt's too scary and fear is, is too, has too strong of a draw and a pull on a heart. Like the, to try and do mortality on your own, it is, this is what it's, he's kind of describing. It's so, it's faint, it's like exhausting. Yeah, and you don't miss out on that just because you're making good decisions in that moment. You're still going to feel the fear and the exhaustion and the mess of things. It really is going to be tough. Right. Mortality just is. Right. So, so tough. And you almost want to give up halfway through this chapter, if you're me or maybe anyone else too, until you start reading the lines of hope. You see one beginning in verse number 20 but shall stay upon the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. There's something about that word stay that wins my heart. The remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob, unto the mighty God. It will all return. The end is going to be good because we believe in a God mightier than mortality. In verse number 25, for yet a very little while, don't you forget that this disaster will only be a disaster for a very little while. But the best promise to me is verse number 27. And it shall come to pass in that day, his burden will be taken away from off your shoulder and his yoke from off your neck and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. And that verse already is so beautiful and so freeing and calls me so deeply with hope. But the last line is so easily skipped over because of the anointing until you remember more of Isaiah's writing. And I think that you have to, in your margins, I wrote Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. Can I use your phone to find it? Yep, 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 yep. Because Isaiah 61 is going to describe what the anointing is and who's it for. And it's for Jesus. It's one of the sections that Jesus quotes in the New Testament. And he says, this is me. This verse, these, this saying it's not saying prophecy prophecy thank you (laughs) i was like what is happening right now in my head this prophecy is about me and he's going to say the spirit of the lord is upon me because the lord has anointed me and then he's going to tell you what he was anointed to do and when you hear what he's anointed to do it makes sense that your burdens and your yokes and your pain will be destroyed and this is how it's going to be destroyed 
Because I have been called to preach good tidings unto the meek, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. There will be joy for mourning, beauty for ashes. You read these three verses, and you realize that the end of the story is not destruction. The end of the story is not sadness. You can live with hope because you really will have your burden taken off your shoulder. Your yoke will be taken off and destroyed because he has come to love the brokenhearted, to bind them up, to care about the captive, to free them, to give freedom and liberty to those that are bound and stuck. That is his call. He was anointed for that. So it might be messy in the middle, but don't worry. The anointed one is on his way. Yeah, and I love just thinking about as you were talking about the, the when you were talking about the yoke will be destroyed, it makes me think about his promise in the book of Matthew that you can take my yoke upon you, that you can either carry around mortality and all of your faults and sins and weaknesses on your own and carry that yoke, or you can enter into my yoke and you can take my name and my power upon you. And it made me think about the sacrament that each week, that is a, that's a, that's a, a moment of decision that we can make where we're saying, I want to do life with him instead of without him. I want to take his power and his yoke on me. Um, this give, this is, anytime you talk about anointing, you think about um, temple ordinances too, where I was like, um, endow me with your power and with your grace and with, and with your strength. That's a moment that we take his, his name and his power where we're deciding, I want to do life with you. Our ordinance moments are moments when we are deciding uh, to invite his power into our lives and to do life together with him. So it's neat that that word is used, not just for him, but then it gives us like a, a reference and a thought to, oh, that also references a moment where I can take on his power and then I can begin to do like the work that he does too. Yeah. Right? And that's exactly what I was just thinking because I love that it begins with the question of who are you going to do this life with? Are you going to do it without him? And are you going to live an unfulfilling life? Or are you going to do it with him? The one who was called to preach good tidings, the one who is going to bind up the brokenhearted, the one that will proclaim liberty to the captives, and the one that will break prisoners free. That's so awesome. You get to choose who. Yeah, that's so awesome. And there, you kind of see an illusion of that in this next one. Um, this next day uh, is Second Nephi chapter 21. It starts off with this um, P.S. Are, if you're watching and you see the title already, that it's called Assemble the Outcasts. That one, you. You didn't even know that was in the scriptures. I didn't until <laughs> today. And it's so awesome. But there's this an allusion at, at the beginning to a couple of things that um, Grace was teaching. Uh, right at the very start, it's a prophecy about Jesus. And it says, there shall come forth a rod or... Um, this little branch out of the stem of Jesse, or that word stem can be translated out of the, the trunk or the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow up out of its roots. Now, that stem of Jesse, that trunk of Jesse, if you kind of look over, I have this picture on here for those of you who are listening. It's of a, a, a trunk, a stump of a tree that's been cut down, and these little um, shoots of green that are growing up out of this seemingly dead tree. When it's cut down, you think, oh, it's over and it's finished and, and the end to the story. And you kind of maybe thought that when you looked at the, that timeline. And that stump of Jesse, that's in reference to David. Jesse is David's father. And David lived this life of, and a time of Israel when it was the golden age and everything was going great. But then it gets cut down, essentially. And David himself, like, you might look at his story and say, that's a tree that was, that was cut down. Um, some of the decisions that he made left him a stump, you might think, as, as you read that. And he may have even thought about his own life. It's over. It's done. It's, it's, it's finished. And the imagery that's here is so hopeful to me that in the timeline of the story of Israel, it may have looked like a stump. It's finished, scattered, over, cut down, and dead. And then for this verse, these verses to begin and say, but new life began to grow or that beauty from ashes. Something beautiful is beginning to come from what you thought was over and, and dead. And it's a reference to Jesus and what Jesus can do with a timeline and what he can do with a, a life 
is bring new life out of it. It's never over. It's never done. New life can, can grow out of that. And it says in 2, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. You see that imagery there to that 61, uh, Isaiah 61, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge. Um, that will rest on him. And I love thinking about those words that he's a God of wisdom and understanding and counsel and, and might and knowledge. It, it just makes me trust him that he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing with people's lives if we'll turn it over to him. If we'll, our own lives or those that we love and care about, if we'll put them into his hands and he knows what to do. He knows what the next right step is um, for people and for the world. Uh, and I love ahead. that yeah. wisdom is connected with understanding because sometimes wisdom seems harsh and understanding seems compassionate. Mm. And I love that there's both. Yeah. He's going to say, yeah. I'm smart and I know what you need, but I understand you as well. I understand where you've been. What you're going through. Where, like the state you're of your struggling. mind. Yeah. I yeah. get it. That's I know. Awesome. I have a big plan, but I, it's not too big for you. Right. Right. I get your story. I understand mm-hmm. why, where, why you are where you are. Um. And then he even says, that they, he talks about that again in verse three, where he's just like, I'm not going to judge after the sight of eyes or the things that I hear. I don't listen to rumors. I don't listen to gossip. I see the heart. I see the past. I see uh, why you did what you did or why you are where you are. But with righteousness, I'm going to judge the poor and reprove the equity for the meek of the earth. I'm going to make everything right for people. I'm going to make it up to you. And you should know in verse four, with the breath of his lips, he can get rid of wickedness. He just has to whisper and it's gone, which makes you realize that there's great purpose in him allowing the adversary to continue to do its work and mortality to continue to do its work um, until the end time. And his righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness will be the girdle of his reins. Earlier you said, Grace, that he's a hard worker and that's an imagery to hard work. Whenever you girdle up your, your robes that you were wearing, it means you were ready to like get to work. Uh, and his work is faithfulness and his work is righteousness. I adore that word faithfulness. Whenever he um, uses it, it, it reminds me of, and it's used in context of relationship. Where he's like, I will be faithful to you the way a spouse is faithful to, you know, their spouse. Like, I, I'm going to be, I'm not going, it's a not giving up kind of word. And when he's done his work and when it's complete and, and sometimes and at one day in a whole world, um, he can do his individual work in people and in families and nations. One day it's going to be the whole world. And Isaiah describes what that end of the timeline looks like where he says, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and fatling together and a little child shall lead them. Uh, the law of the jungle's over and a new law and a new heaven and a new earth and there's no predator and prey anymore in the world is what this is teaching. And the cow and the bear will feed and their young ones shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And I love in verse eight, that's the, the little child, the suckling child shall play in the hole of an asp and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice's den. That's a promise to anybody who is just worried about their, their children and the lives that they lead and, and the dangers that are out there in the world and those who've been seduced by the serpent just to understand and know that one day you won't have to worry anymore. There won't be any danger, spiritual or physical, in this world anymore once the Savior is done with His, with his work. And it's so tender to me that it's just the little ones. Yeah. Because it feels so simple. that That's who you wanted to be all along. Yeah. And now you finally can. Yeah. It's okay. And it's, and also too, I was just thinking when you said that, that, that God, that's how God sees us. He sees us as a suckling child. He sees us as this little kid who's just learning to walk and just learning to figure things out. That um, he looks at me and he says, that's okay, David. You, you've only been around the sun 40 times, right? Why would you have figured it out right now? That he just, that he sees me as that um, a, a little one, one of his little ones trying to, to figure this out. And I, this just, this kind of imagery for the millennium is, is just really sweet to me. And, 
And he says in nine, neither shall they hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There was a, uh, this one time where I um, was out in the sea, just in the, the boat just went really far out and far out enough that you looked in every direction and that's all that you could see. And you knew beyond that, that there was even more. And I, that imagery of knowledge of the Lord being compared to the waters that cover the sea is, is really, um, there's something like so expansive about that. And there's something um, really fascinating to think that even beyond what you can see, there's more. That, that knowledge of, of the Lord and his goodness, there's more of it that you don't even know about quite yet. And just to think about that, that it, and, and, and you'll know about who he is. And it makes me think too, as I have this role right now to help gather in Israel, part of it is to teach people about him. And it makes me ask myself the question, you know, in order for the earth to be full of the knowledge of the Lord, somebody has to, somebody has to spread it and people get to experience it. And that's so powerful to me to think that there's more experiences with him to come. There's more things that you're going to learn about him and, and know from him that you haven't quite experienced yet. And, and that one day everybody will get to, will get to know all of those things uh, about him. And I, I love, and that makes yet, you look forward to it. And that yet feels like a promise in that sentence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coming. And then in verse 10, he moves to that restoration time. You see, he's gone to millennium and now he's coming back right before the millennium in 10, where this root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign to the people, to it shall the Gentiles seek and his rest shall be glorious. If you look in, I put on here on the side, DNC 113, where the Lord teaches that that's Joseph Smith. And this line, it shall come to pass in that day, the Lord shall set his hand again. That word again, you might want to circle that. The second time, you might want to circle or underline that. That's his nature and his character. That in that day, again, a second time, he's going to recover the remnant of his, of his people, which are in Assyria and Egypt and Pathos and Cushan. It's a way of saying they're all scattered and I'm going to bring them back together again. And this enzyme for the nations shall assemble the outcasts. Uh, if you feel like an outcast ever, if you feel dispersed in verse 12 to those words, you have a God who intends on assembling the outcasts. Bring them back home. Bring them back together. Um, let them come and enjoy the relationship with God again. And, and it just says, then the hatred in verse 13 that used to exist between you will be gone and the enemies will be destroyed. And verse 15 is one of my favorites because it's Egypt language. It's Red Sea language. The Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian and the mighty wind will shake over the river. Um, he's talking about the same way I rescued the children of Israel out of Egypt. I intend to do that again with as many miracles as you witnessed in that story as well. There's a, I put this cross-reference in my scriptures next to that 15, Jeremiah 16, 14. It's one of my favorite verses from the Old Testament and it says this... Um, <laughs> It's um, another, this, remember Jeremiah is kind of a contemporary together with Isaiah, so he talks about some similar things. But he says in verse 14, Therefore, behold, the days come, the days are coming, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be said, the Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. All throughout the Old Testament, the miracle that was associated with Jehovah the most was the Red Sea. That was like the grand greatest miracle, the rescue of an entire nation through a series of miracles. And he said, someday they're not going to know him by that miracle anymore because another one bigger than that is going to eclipse it. And he says, people are going to talk about him in this way in 15, the Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel from the lands of the north and from the lands where he had driven them and brought them again unto the land that I gave unto their fathers. He said, one day, God will perform a miracle that will be similar to the Red Sea one, but it'll, it will eclipse it. It will be bigger and better. And that's what he's going to be known by. That will be his like calling card miracle. And that's the day that we live in, in the time where we're witnessing God rescuing Israel again, rescuing them out of their 
Egypts out of their their chains again all over the world. And I thought about this that um, this morning when in my email inbox is all of these emails from Jack and all of his friends, mm. and I get to open each of those emails and read stories of God rescuing people from their Egypts, and it's happening in everywhere in this world. And the collective, like the collective stories of all of that, is stunning. It's uh, making my jaw drop to see God eclipse the miracle of the Red Sea with these individual miracles all over the earth today. Mm. Oh, it makes us so excited. I know. <laughs> um, the next section of reading is 2 Nephi 22 and 23, and we're calling it Rejoice. And every single time I hear the word rejoice, I think about the exact same moment in my life. And what happened is I was at a Chick-fil-A. That's already the start of a good story, so that's lucky. Um, I was at a Chick-fil-A, and this boy named Matthew had just gotten on his break. We were in California, and he had just gone on break, and he, like, was walking out, and for some reason, he just sat down at our table, and all of us were, like, kind of surprised, but it was just like, okay, well, we're at Chick-fil-A, so he's nice. He works at Chick-fil-A, so we feel fine about it. My pleasure. And he sat down, and we started talking, and he was like, we're like, oh, he's like, are you guys in school? And we kind of were talking to him, and we are like, what about you? And he's like, oh, I'm studying to be a priest. And I was like, whoa, that is really cool. Like, how did you ever possibly decide to do that? And he kind of explained his story. And the more he got into it, the more that his story seemed really tough at that moment. And he kind of started sharing some of the battles that he was going through and the nightmare and all of these hard, hard things. And then he looked at us and he's like, but I still rejoice. And I looked at him and I was like, why? On earth are you still rejoicing? You have got to be kidding. And he's like, oh, because of, because of all the God winks. And he like said it like I was supposed to clue in on what it was. And I was little. I was, I was Well, I wasn't little, but I was like 19. So I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, God winks. And he was like, oh, you know, like when you like have an inside joke with someone and like you like tell them something funny and then you like wink at them. So they like clue in that it was like just like between you guys. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, me and God have those. And like he like just like winks down at me. And he's like, and every time I see one, it's like a God wink. And I was like, okay, well, tell me some. And he's like, oh, well, like if there's like a really good sunset, that's a God wink for me. Or if I see like he was like his number, his like favorite number was 33. And he's like, every time I see 33, that's a God wink to me. Mm. Or and he started listing all of these things that were his God winks. And then at the end, he's like, how could I not rejoice when me and God have those moments every single day? Mm. And it's interesting because chapter 22 is going to start and it sounds like rejoicing. And then chapter 23 is going to start and it does not feel like rejoicing at all. Chapter 22 screams these God winks. It's going to say, and in that day, and it's talking about the millennium, but I just think it has to do with every single day of my life too. Um, I will say, I will praise thee. Lord, and you were angry and now your anger is turned away and you comfort me. You are my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid because you are my strength and my song and you have become my salvation. I love that it says the word become because you see growth in that word. And maybe right now when you hear even just the first two verses of this chapter, it doesn't seem like the God you know or the story you're telling. I love that it gives you hope that he can become that. There's room for growth there. Therefore, with joy, draw waters out of the well of salvation. Praise the Lord. Call upon his name. Declare his doings among the people. Make mention that his name is exalted. That is what Matthew was living in Chick-fil-A. He lived declaring God's doings. Hmm. He said, let me tell you about his God winks because there are plenty in my day. He was doing it on his break at Chick-fil-A just because he wanted to sit down and talk about God. Sing unto the Lord. He has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. No one is excluded from those excellent things. Cry out and shout, for great is the Holy One in Israel. He is in the middle of you. Hmm. He is right there in it with you. you. And it's so interesting because that's the most cheerful chapter of all time. I want to read that 18 times and I want to say it every single day before I wake up because it reminds me of that conversation with Matthew of living a life that screams rejoicing. So much so that you are rejoicing on your break at work. 
that you can't help but live verse number four in your everyday life. You just declare his doings. You can't help it. You want to tell everyone about your God wings. I want to go through and I want to tell people about every single time I see a firework, I know that it is from God. And I want to tell people about the songs that come on shuffle that I know God is winking down at me. That is living the life of rejoicing. And what happens in verse in chapter number 23 is pretty much the exact opposite. And you see a life and a world that's falling apart. One that makes me think of that boy in Chick-fil-A and how maybe just maybe his life felt like verse, like chapter 23, but his words like sing, like sung. Oh, that was like the hardest word ever for me. His words sung chapter 22. Mm. And what happens is chapter 23 is going to go through and you can highlight all of these things and they are scary words. Like it is going to like, all of a sudden you start in verse seven, faint, and there will be pangs and sorrow, and you will be afraid and wrath and fierce anger and destruction. And verse number 10, there will be not light and it will be dark, a dark, dark time. And it will be punishment and evil and iniquity. You see this world that is a mess and sad and hurting. But in verse number three, it almost wants you to reference back to chapter 22, I think, because it says, I have commanded my sanctified ones, I have also called my mighty ones, for mine anger is not upon them that rejoice in my highness. That is what makes someone mighty. That is what makes you sanctified. What makes you holy is simply rejoicing. Mm. And you can still rejoice when there is pain and like fear and sorrow and anger and darkness. And that's hard to do. I am no expert at that because when my life looks like chapter number 23, I can promise you the first word that does not come to my head is rejoice. That's like the 900th word that comes to my mind when that's my life. But I love that chapter 22 gives you the trick. It says, listen, life is going to feel like chapter 23. It's going to be a mess and there will be destruction. That does not make God evil. That does not make him mean or cruel. You can still praise him. You can still rejoice because he will never stop working in your life. He will never stop doing excellent things. You will find his God winks everywhere, every single day. And you can find reasons to rejoice. Yeah, we, in the journal, we called this chapter 22 an interlude of hope. Just there are these, in Isaiah's writings, he'll stop every now and then and give us something to look forward to and a reason to rejoice, and a reason to hope. And I think a God wink is an interlude of hope in my day or my week. Just like God just gives me something to look forward to. He gives me something to rejoice in, something to remember about Him. And that's just, uh, that's so awesome. It just makes you want to live rejoicing. Yeah, yeah. Um, the next day, chapter 24, I'm, we're, we're calling a victory song because that is what it is. It's a song. Uh, the word in verse four is proverb, but that's translated better as a song. And it's this victory song after evil is defeated and, and Satan is bound and, and, and what that moment will be like. And it's, it's only, you know, if uh, there's been like a, I don't know, it's a, it's a rivalry game or there's a team that you root for or that you play on and it's been a really, really tough season and you fought and you fought and fought and at the very end, like you just win Mm. and the victory song plays and it's one that you've been passionate about and like, and then when you finally win, it's just this, this victory song, but the victory isn't sweet um, unless there's just been this battle or there's been this fight for it or there's just been this hope that's been stirring up with it. And so 24, chapter 24, that victory song, is particularly victorious and, and feels best if you just if you've ever felt the heartache that sin has caused yourself or another if if you've ever felt the sting of doubt or if you've ever just heard uh, the taunting of the devil again and again and again if you've ever been a witness or uh, a uh, or experienced just the the heartache and the hard that the devil causes in this world, that victory is so sweet when he is defeated, when it's no more and when it's over. And that's what this chapter is about. And particularly because it starts with a people who've been defeated and who seem to have been overcome, that they're that stump again in the beginning. For the Lord, it says, will have mercy on Jacob. 
And why would he need to have mercy unless <laughs> there had been a failure? And he said, and will yet choose Israel and set them in their own land. What they look like right now is the last kid you want to pick for the kickball team at recess. And it says, even though you look weak and small and, and you've done everything in the world that would make me not want to choose you, he says he will yet choose you. And that's the nature of, of the God that we worship. And he says, and I'll bring you in from the far ends of the earth and I'll return you to the lands of, mm. of your promises, what I will do. And when you get there, you will be able to sing the victory song. Because evil and death and sin and the adversary will be defeated once and for all. And he compares them to the king of Babylon. And, and he just says, um, oh, and, and the verse I wanted to give you, sorry, verse 3. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will give you rest. And he mentions three things. From your sorrow, from your fear, and from your hard bondage. Eventually, you will get to rest. Because those things will be gone. You won't have to carry them or face them um, anymore. Uh, he talks in seven again about that rest. And that rest is actually going to make you want to break forth into singing again, it says in verse seven. And he talks about that one day this, this, um, this terrible king of Babylon, who's a type for the devil, who's caused so much destruction and so much pain uh, in this world. And, and one day, uh, we'll look at him in verse twelve, in verse twelve, and say, or eleven. He says, "Your pomp is now brought down to the grave. You caught, you ruled and reigned with horror on this earth, and now it's over. Your day is over, and you have fallen, Lucifer, son of the morning, and cut down. You said that I will ascend into heavens and I'll exalt my name, but now look at you, just in the sides of the pit." In verse six, fifteen. And they that see you in 16 will narrowly look upon you, They'll kind of squint and be like, is that you? You're the one who caused so much pain and hurt in this world? Because look at you. You're like, he says, a, a piece of old clothes that are just thrown <laughs> off to the side of the road. And, and he said, it's kind of gross language. It's like you're laying on a bed of worms and your blanket is maggots. Mm. You're done. You're over. <laughs> and, and it's through. And that whole thing is a song about how he is like, it's a victory song. He is defeated. He is done. Our enemy has been squashed and our conqueror is victorious. And he mm. says, that's a song we all will get to sing someday. Uh, about the about the Lord defeating evil once and for all. It makes us so excited. Yeah, it really is. It's like, really oh. just want to sing. I know, especially when you just think about, like, just some, like, when, when you have, like, felt those feelings of defeat and, and you've seen a, a, a minor victory, one of the battles that's been won, you know, by the adversary with you or someone that you love. I, I remember this one time, my uh, grandfather was in his 90s, and he was scammed by someone. Someone emptied his bank account because they called him and pretended to be, you know, something else. And I know, and I just thought, I can't wait till there's no more of these predator things on this earth and, and lies and the, the, everything's gone mm. and done. And I don't have to deal with the pain of regret and, and worry and all of those things that the devil just stirs up. And it's like, ah, when you feel those, you just can't wait for that victory, for the game clock to reach zero and, 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 the, and the field goal you made, it was made and it's over and victory. Done. And, yeah, and it's done. And you can rest. Oh. You can finally rest from, uh, from the fight. Mm. The next day's reading is 2 Nephi 25 verses 1 through 13. It's just a short one. And we're calling it a bigger heart. We read a decent amount of this day's reading already. We kind of did it in advance because it's a few tips for reading Isaiah. So I'm not going to focus on that. I'm just going to go down to the very last verse. It's the very end. And in verse number 12, we start to get this introduction from him of Jesus. And he says he's the only begotten of the Father. And one day he is going to come here. And he's going to be flesh and blood. And he will be on the earth. And people will reject him because of their iniquities and because of the hardness of their hearts and the stiffness of their necks, they will crucify him and he will be laid down in a grave and he will be there for three days. And then he will rise from the dead 
with healing in his wings and all those who believe on him shall be saved. You didn't know that his whole story was going to be told in two verses, but you just love that Isaiah is like, just remember, this is who we're talking about. He is so good. Let me introduce you to him. And at the very end, he's going to say, listen, that's why I love to write and to prophesy. That's why my soul delights in it. Because I have seen his day. I have seen him walk the earth. I've seen what that is going to look like. I have seen who he is. And my heart does magnify his holy name. I want my heart to reflect who he is. I want people to know him better because they know me. I want to just be a fraction of who he is. And I want people to know him better because they know me. And it seems like such a calling invitation for me, but I also can't help but think of the people that helped me get to know him better because of that magnifying glass as well. Mm. That I've met and I've thought, oh, I know Jesus better because of them. I know his heart a little bit better. I know that he performs miracles because I know them. I know who he is because their heart is like his. And it almost just seems like a calling. Like, oh, let your heart magnify him. Yeah. Let people see him a little bit clearer when they see you. And that's a tough task sometimes. And it seems out of reach. But I love that if you look at his life and what it looked like, it looked like sitting with the people no one else would sit by. It looked like spending time with people that other people forgot about. It looked like showing up when people were desperate for help. It looked like simple things in the day-to-day life and living a compassionate life. And maybe people will know him better because they see you living like that. Yeah, and Jesus lived, really did live out his life like that. Or it's like when he was anointed to release the cat, you know, do all of those things. And he did it one person at a time. And when he calls us into like his ministry, the ministry of the Messiah is a, a one-on-one ministry. And it makes me think about that prophecy we read earlier that the, the, the knowledge of the Lord will fill the earth like the waters cover the sea. And I think it'll happen one at a time. He's like, you mm. and me, we all get to help in doing that, that enzyme that is lifted up. It's like, what story will you lift up? What will you say about him that will draw people in, right? What, what is it? What, it's the flag of victory. It's a flag of hope. It's the flag of miracles that draw people in. That's what is it that's going to compel people to come and want to get to know him. And I love that he is an example of when you get to know him, you cannot help but want to have other people know him too. Right. He's just so good. Right, right. He's like, of course. He's like, he's so good. Of course I want my heart to magnify who he is because it's him. Right, right. And Nephi kind of ends, our last day today is the end of chapter 25. Oh, I have not been flipping these as we've been going through, but we're just going to make it all the way to 25. That's what (laughs) we're going to do. And Nephi sort of ends... Uh, at least this, you know, today's and all the Isaiah chapters with lifting up, what I think, his enzyme and his um, banner of what he wants to teach about Jesus. And I want to skip ahead to the verse that all of us know really, really well um, and then move backwards from here. It's sort of a, it's funny, it causes a lot of like controversy and discussion <laughs> and a lot of criticism. Verse 23, but, he, but I want to just maybe think differently about this series. He says, we labor diligently to write to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ. We, 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 we want people to believe in him and we persuade others to believe in him and to be reconciled to God. For we know that it's by grace that we are saved after all we can do. And that's an interesting phrase. I'm just pulling this out for a second because I, I, I wrote just a couple thoughts about that earlier today when I was you know, just reading it and taking some time to, to think about it. That, you know, there are some people who read that verse and, and they associate it as a, a, a causation verse, verse. That after I do all I can do, it now causes the grace of Christ to come in. And I could see how somebody could read that and, and think that. Um, if they read that verse isolated from the rest of the chapter and from the rest of the teachings of the Book of Mormon. Like you could easily like be tricked by the English into thinking that you've done that. Um, I kind of rewrote it uh, a little bit 
um, as a non-causative um, in, in context of what he's saying in the rest of the chapter, more like this. After you've done all you can do, which you should, because why not? Because he deserves our, our very best. Mm. So after you've done all that you can do, please remember it is by grace that you are saved. Now, what is all I can do? All I can do is not 100%. It's almost, it, it's not saying like, you better be, you better do 100%. That, that would cause anxiety and nobody can do it. In the sacrament every week, always remember, nobody actually does that. And sometimes that verse causes people anxiety because there's like, I can't do all. And it's like, I know, I'm not asking you to do all. I'm just asking you to do all you can do. And all you can do, if you look back through the chapter, you'll see these verses in the journal, but I put them up on the board here too. If you read the whole chapter in context in verse 13 and 14 and three times in 16 and 23 and 24 and 28 and 29, there is one word that you would see over and over and over again, and it's the word believe. Who shall believe on his name shall be saved, verse 13. Verse 14, as, unto as many as will believe on his name, verse 14, 16. They shall be persuaded to believe in Christ, the Son of God. And then that day shall come that they shall believe in Christ and worship the Father in his name, that they should believe these things. Three times in 16. 18, I put on there, it's not on the list, but uh, convincing them of the true Messiah. Convincing of them that they need not look forward anymore for a Messiah because it's, it's him. Um, 23, to believe in Christ and be reconciled. That is the context of chapter 25. That's the context of all we can do, Nephi says, is to believe on his name. He's not saying do all and then that causes grace, but rather after you've done all you can do, which is to believe and follow him and, and listen to him and love him, um, remember, please remember that it's by grace that you were actually saved. Um, put it in context of other verses too. I just put up two cross references here. One is from Lehi and one's from his brother, Jacob. Where Remember um, Nephi, I mean Lehi back in chapter two, where he just said, how great the importance to make these things known unto the children of men, that there is no one who shall dwell in the presence of, of um, God, save it be through the merits and mercy and grace of the Holy Messiah, who laid down his life. Nephi seems to be pointing us to the hero of the salvation story here. I like that he mentions in verse 20, the story of the serpent, that anyone who casts their eyes into the serpent um, that was raised before them, um, would be saved. Do you remember that story where Moses lifts up that serpent in, in the wilderness? I think he's kind of teaching. He's like, for sure, there is an aspect that you have to play in the salvation story. God gave us agency. We have to choose to receive that gift. But that line that Nephi gives is just declaring who the hero of the salvation story is. Of course, you and I have a part to play in it. Of course, we have to receive and open the gift. But in the story of, of the serpent, looking didn't heal, right? Look, them looking didn't make them the hero. God was performing the miracle. Nephi is just kind of emphasizing. So don't let this verse give you any sort of anxiety or teach you wrong about the message of grace. He's like, oh yeah, he would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. There is something you do. It's to believe and to follow and to repent and to you know, restore relationship together for sure. But he's like, but after all you can do, grace was won by Jesus on the cross. He is the hero and the victor of that story. Play a part in it. You certainly do. Grace is not offended by effort. Grace is offended by earning. And so Nephi is just making clear. He was like, the hero of our salvation is Jesus. Let's praise in his name. Let's believe on him. Let's trust on his redeeming grace. Let's trust in his conquering moment on the cross in the Easter tomb. And he's just, get, like, he, this is a praise verse, not one that's supposed to cause like anxiety for anybody who's, you know, who's reading it. And, and that's what he wants to hold up. That's the story. Let's convince people to believe in him because it was his grace that saved us. Which I think is so interesting that the majority of this chapter is him telling you, help other people believe. 
Yeah. That's the message of this chapter to me. Right. Is him being like, people need to know this message. People need to believe it. Help them. Right. Convince them. Talk to them about it. Right. It's a, like invitation chapter. Right. Right. And so in context of that, he says, because we're saved by his grace, verse 26 comes, so talk of Christ and rejoice in Christ and preach of Christ, and prophesy of Christ, and write according to your prophecies. Why? So our children may know, or so that other, our neighbors may know, so strangers in Chick-fil-A may know to what source they may look for a remission of their sins. Because he saved us by grace, talk about him, sing about him, preach about him, learn about him, write about him, sing about him, do all the things about him. Let Hold up your banner. Hold up the ensign for people to gather. Give them a reason to want to enter into covenant relationship with him. Give them a reason that they want to do life together with him. And so our worksheet this week and our word this week and our tender mercy this week. It's everything. It's everything. Nephi wanted to emphasize it, so we're going to emphasize it too in all of our things. This worksheet um, has these blanks on it to talk, rejoice, preach, testify, and write. This would be a a, a cool challenge worksheet to use. Cool. Where you can just say, when am I going to, what am I going to, where, where and when am I going to talk about him Hmm. this week? Um, How am I going to rejoice in him this week? Is it going to be a song? Let me get a victory song this week. Let me, get a, you know, let me get a song that's going to help me praise. When am I going to preach? Preach, another word for that, um, is to exhort. Um, that means to speak about him passionately. You can talk about him together at a table. When's your moment where you're just going to like say the heartfelt thing about him? Mm. You know, that, those convincing kind of words. When am I going to testify about him this week? Am I going to do it on my Instagram? Am I going to do it in church? When am I going to take that moment to testify? And when am I going to write about him? And am I going to write it in a journal? Or am I going to write it in a text? Or am I, or am I going to write it um, in a letter? Who's done one of those in a long time? Why not? But just <laughs> this could just be an awesome, you know, let me make a goal of where I can do that this week. Convince people to, and our, our poster word, I forgot to put it up on, on the screen so you can just look at it over Grace's shoulder, is to believe. Um, that's what we do. We believe in we believe in Christ. That's all we can do is believe in him and trust in him and it's um it, it uh and, that, and I love that. Just be, trust in me, rely on me, you know? And I love that he's someone worth believing in. Yeah. Yeah. That it really is worth your time. Yeah. So worth it that you can't help but talk and rejoice and preach and testify and write about it. Yeah. So his tender mercy this week that you'll experience um, throughout your entire life. Um, oh man! It did, I, right when I was just saying that, uh, it, I was I just thought of um, another verse. And what is it? There was like, oh, I was like, I have this verse I want to share. Where? <laughs> and now it might be gone. Let me check one and see if this is it. Oh, it's in my Book of Mormon. Um, I think it might be in that second Nephi 10 where he was quoting Jacob and let's just see if it is. What was that? Will you go back to yeah. that screen? Because I just want to see that 10, 24. Let's just see if this is it, but it, it really might not be. It's a surprise. Um, it's not, but that's just a great, great verse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know what it is. I know what it was. It's the um, cross reference on, oh, the, John on the poster. On the Word of Week poster. Yeah, it's John 1-7. Okay, I was looking that lucky. up. Or, I know. So I, now just, you can read both. John yeah. 1-7 and you can also read 2 Nephi 10 24. It's fine. You're going to like them both. It'll yeah. be good. Remember, these things are always in the app, the PDF of that, everybody, if you ever want anything. But it was John 1-27. It's on the bottom of the poster, and it says, that's a light. It's not 27. What is it? 1-7. Seven. Seven. I was like, that was not it. It was about the shoe, latching his shoe. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay. Um, oh, let me put this on the poster. It's like stuck to my hand while I'm trying to. The tender mercy is grace. <laughs> You guys, I, because I saw the word and it reminded me of the scripture and I was like, I, I got lost in that, everybody. The word is grace. Um, the poster's behind here hiding and you can just put it on. That's the completed one. You guys, we're just, this is, <laughs> this is we're having, we're just right like, now. yeah, wow. Um, <laughs> on here. Uh, and I want to just show you this verse because it's a, um, by grace we're, we're saved, you know. 
And that goes on there. P.S. Somebody DM'd me the other day, and I want to tell you this. And they printed out oh. these for their kids, um, the little things on the poster, so that they could be little extra tippins for their scriptures. So each week they're gluing in one of these next to the spot where that happens. And then it and becomes a picture book. It's so cute because the pictures are so pretty. They're really good. And I was like, I'm doing that right away. So, yeah, so um, that that's another great. way you can use these that I think you're going to... Um, that makes me want to do that I know. for all my uh, seminary Yeah, isn't that oh, cool? No. Yeah, I'm going to have to use all the colors. Yeah. Of the, oh, well, I was going to John. You guys will end on this. John 1-7. <laughs> my goodness. Just another way to, I think, appreciate grace. It is by grace that we're saved. His, the, the grace demonstrated in the cross in the Easter tomb. But he says this. The same came for a witness, meaning Jesus. Um, testifying about Jesus. To bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. And that's interesting to me that it's by his grace that we learn to believe Hmm. and are able to believe in the first place. All we can do is believe, but it's interesting that he motivates us to believe. It's by his grace that that we discovered him in the first place, Hmm. that we came to know him, and that we're given the, the strength and the hope to do whatever it is that that we can do as well. Like his grace is um, not only on that end day, and it will be, and the lamb will lay down with the lion, and the child, young child will, you know, play with the snake, and, and the knowledge will cover the Lord and all the earth, and the full measure of his, of his gift of grace we will experience, but we will experience that grace on a day-to-day basis. As, as we move through. He gives us uh, the means uh, to believe and then, and then blesses us with the, just with the, the, the gift of, of salvation in the end and every day along the way, which is mm. so awesome. So, such a great, so right. awesome. Yeah. Week. Yeah. I'm just, yeah. I want to rejoice. I want to rejoice. You know? <laughs> Makes you want best. to. Yeah. It's the best way to live. So, all right. More rejoicing, more grace next week. (laughs) This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.